Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up, every time their phone rings and they see it's the detective in the case, they dread that. And, and, it's, and it's because they just don't know what kind of news is going to come through that phone. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Every day you got to, you know, prepare yourself for the worst, but hope for the best. It's been over a year since 40-year-old Mary Johnson went missing. According to the FBI, Johnson was last seen walking on the Tulalip Reservation on November 25th, 2020. Johnson's family has been pushing for answers ever since. The beginning, there was no progress. But right now, there's progress. Johnson's sisters felt like no one was paying attention, a common grievance among families of missing Native women. The Tulalip Police Department says it and the FBI are working the disappearance as a high-priority case. They say they're interviewing persons of interest and following up on leads. Never think it's going to happen to you. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. Joining us once again from King 5 in Seattle is Ted Land. Ted, thanks for coming on to chat about this case. Thanks for having me. We recently marked one year since Mary Johnson was reported missing from the Tulalip Reservation north of Seattle. Before we talk more about her disappearance, let's talk about Mary Johnson. What have you learned about her? Well, she's a 40-year-old woman uh, who lived uh, near the Tulalip Reservation. And, you know, she's one of many missing Native and Indigenous people in Washington State and really throughout the West um, who uh, whose families are looking for them. Law enforcement are realizing this is a bigger problem than they previously thought, uh, a more broad problem. And uh, they're devoting more and more resources to it. And these cases are starting to get more attention as uh, more resources are directed toward them. Jerry Davis and Nona Bluen are constantly thinking about their sister, Mary, known for being an adoring aunt and a loyal friend. She's very kind. Loving. Yeah. Especially the family, sister. A couple months ago, we had... Channing Curtis, an anchor from Creme 2 News, King 5's sister station in Spokane on the show, to talk about some local efforts there in Spokane and statewide efforts to fix some of those issues to make sure that cases involving missing and murdered indigenous people, particularly women, are getting the attention and the resources that they should be getting. And she told us that that it is an ongoing effort, but there seemed to be some hope among those calling for change that things might be moving in the right direction, that these cases were starting to get more of those resources Can you talk about some of the specific goals of the activists and lawmakers you've spoken to and and where some of those efforts are headed? Absolutely. This really started 
at the grassroots level with uh, many Native and Indigenous people here in Washington State who saw a problem and started raising concerns about it first on social media uh, and then to lawmakers and law enforcement. It's been a slow process really for them because when you have missing family members and friends or people who have been murdered, um, time is something you don't have very much of and, and there's a real sense of urgency among these families. But finally, there's some progress here. Washington State started paying attention to this problem a few years ago when they started, um, you know, looking into it. They did did some research with the Washington State Patrol, um, asking questions, visiting uh, reservations, talking to family members and law enforcement, saying, just really trying to get a, a grasp on the scope of the problem here it, before they could start talking about solutions about how to direct more resources toward these cases. They really just wanted to know what is the problem. And what was revealed is that there are just some really complex issues around jurisdiction and data collection uh, of these cases involving uh, reservations and tribal lands and tribal law enforcement. Uh, They don't always um, really talk to each other the way traditional law enforcement talks with one another throughout the rest of the country. And and that can really slow down and s- slow down the process of, of investigating these cases. They take our detective resources off reservation often. Um, I think nationally, uh, a very high percentage of cases are people, uh, non-Native Americans, that prey and exploit uh, Native American women. So these cases do have that jurisdictional Uh, patchwork. And uh, that's been very frustrating for many of these families who are starting to identify places where where there can be some change. So the Washington State Patrol looked into this. They came out with a report. They presented that to lawmakers. Now there is a a task force in the state uh, with many different members. They're visiting tribes. They're holding public meetings. They're letting people uh, speak out about cases and and some of the hangups that are there. And the goal eventually is to build on those efforts and give some recommendations to the legislature to change laws, to close those gaps, uh, to to make it so that you know Native and Indigenous people are not missing at a much higher rate than the rest of the population here. So that's the broader context. Let's talk specifically about Mary Johnson's case. When and where was she last seen? She was last seen November 25th of 2020, and and investigators say she was walking on the Tulalip Reservation, uh, traveling to a friend's house. How many people said they'd seen her? Uh, We have at least three people who saw her on the road that day walking. Tulalip Tribal Police Chief Chris Sutter says it was here on the day before Thanksgiving that there were sightings of the 39-year-old. And our phone record searches indicate that at least her phone made it to the area of 116th Street here in Tulalip. And then we believe that she may have been transported to the area of Oso, Washington, but she never made it to her final destination. What was that destination? Well, she was attempting to go visit some people who she knows in that area. And that's the last time anyone saw her. She never arrived at the friend's house. They weren't sure, you know, where she might have ended up. Her family says that her estranged husband reported her missing two weeks later. So there's a gap there that nobody really knew that she was gone. And, and, uh, you know, that's really important time when somebody goes missing to really get on the case and start searching for them. So two weeks went by before investigators were alerted to her disappearance. He said that she's been gone for a couple 
uh, weeks, and she's not normally gone that long. I wanted to ask about that window of time. Have we heard any explanation of why it took so long for Mary to be reported missing? We have not, and and her family um, expressed some frustration to me when I talked to them that this even happened, that her her husband had not said anything or reported her missing. They they think this raises some red flags in the case. Um, and they want to know more about why that happened. And certainly that's something investigators are looking into, but they have not announced any suspects or persons of interest in this case. So um, we have not spoken to Mary Johnson's husband um, and we don't know very much about him. And another question I'm not sure we know the answer to, but do we know who it was that last saw Mary when she was walking to that friend's house? We don't. The FBI and uh, investigators working on this case would only say that she was traveling to her friend's house, never arrived. That's kind of the last indication of, of where her specific location may have been. And, you know, when you get up into that area north of Seattle, it, it can be very rural and rugged terrain. There's the, there's the reservation, of course, but once you start driving, you know, into east of there, into the mountains, uh, away from the coast, it, it's a very rural, rugged area. We went out there to visit her sisters, Mary Johnson's sisters, and interview them recently. And it, it was quite a long drive um, yeah, through some remote territory. So uh, to be to be searching for somebody in an area like that certainly is a challenge. When you went out there to talk to Mary Johnson's sisters, what did they share with you about the early days of this investigation after Mary Johnson was reported missing? Early on, Mary Johnson's family, her sisters, felt like the local um, law enforcement wasn't giving the time or resources to this case that it deserved. And that's a common concern shared among many family members of missing Indigenous and Native people that you know their loved one goes missing, Maybe they re- they report it right away, and it, it doesn't really go anywhere, and, and they feel like it, it just kind of stalls there. That's when they were able to connect with some of the activists here in Washington State who've been working on, on this issue for some time and helped push for some of the changes at the state level. Um, those activists have been very helpful with this family, connecting them with others, uh, with a lawyer who, who helped get some more attention for their case, who helped really spur the law enforcement to, to um, you know, publicize this some more. They ended up putting up a big billboard along I-5 here in Washington that thousands of people pass every day with her picture on it. On this stretch of road, a reminder of one family's painful reality towers over Interstate 5, a billboard bearing the message, Mary Davis Johnson, missing. Now that she's disappeared, we don't know where she's at if she's dead or alive, it'd just be nice to have her back. So it really started to take off, but they felt like early on, there really was not a lot of attention on it. And uh, even that the media were not paying attention to it. And in many cases, it's because reporters just don't know about these cases. A lot of that comes from the families and and the law enforcement. And and if uh, journalists are not alerted to these cases, you can't really do much reporting on them if you don't know what's happening. Fortunately, that started to change once they got in touch with some of these um, uh, grassroots activists in Washington who are really pushing for change. 
You reported that the Tulalip police and the FBI are now calling this a high priority case. What exactly does that high priority designation mean in terms of, of the investigation? It's not quite clear. They, the, the chief, the Tulalip Police Department chief told me, they say this is one of, one of their high priority cases, you know, among all of the cases that they investigate. It's, it's not a very big department, but, um, you know, they, they consider this to be one that they are, um, dedicating a lot of resources to. Um, they say they're interviewing persons of interest and following up on leads, listening for any kind of tips. They've announced a $60,000 reward for information that leads to the identification, arrest, and conviction of suspects responsible for her disappearance. So that started out at $10,000. That money was from the FBI. And then the Tulalip tribes, um, after some prodding, uh, kicked in another $50,000 to try and get any kind of information here. You mentioned their actively interviewing persons of interest, they're vetting new leads. It sounds pretty clear. This isn't a cold case. This is pretty active. No. And they were, they, 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 they did not tell me over the phone, the investigators that did not say anything about, you know, we've hit dead ends and we just don't know where to go with this. And, you know, this is common with, with, uh, with a case where, where there might be somebody that they're looking at. They don't want to you know, tip that person off and say, hey, we're looking for this guy. They, they, they don't say that until they really have to say that because um, they're trying to be pretty quiet about it. So if, if they're looking into somebody and perhaps uh, tracking their movements or trying to learn more about their whereabouts, you know, during the time when uh, Mary went missing, they, they don't want to reveal too much information about that because they don't want that person to go run and hide somewhere. So that's pretty common at this point in the investigation, but they, they, were, they were quite clear with me that, that they are, are looking into some information here. We just don't know what. I know the family of Mary Johnson and the Tulalip tribes hosted an event to mark the one-year anniversary of Mary's disappearance and to highlight some other cases. Tell us a little bit about that event. Yeah, that was a really important moment for them that marked the one-year um, one year since uh, Mary disappeared. And what it did was it brought together families of other indigenous people who went missing, and they all share in the same frustration. It's a gathering of family on the Tulalip Reservation. And while not everyone here is technically related, they all share the same hope. It was a chance for them all to come together and draw attention, not just to Mary's case, but to many uh, cases much like hers. Mary's sister, Jerry, said that she feels like they're all family now. We know what their families are going through. We feel the pain that they feel. It's a really difficult time for them, even, even after the passage of, of years. And, you know, the, the police chief from Tulela Police told us, Part of the, the problem in solving these crimes involves, you know, the jurisdictional maze that investigators have to work through involving you know, tribes, reservations, nearby law enforcement, state and federal law enforcement. Um, this is something that they're trying to change. But um, in, in the meantime, it, it's, uh, it's a very difficult time for families like Mary's who say every time their phone rings and they see it's the detective in the case, yeah, they're, they're, they just, they dread that. And, and it's, and it's because they just don't know what kind of news is going to come through that phone. Will it be good? Will it be bad? Uh, they, they worry that, that, you know, it could be terrible news. Um, but you just don't know. That's, that's what makes this so difficult for them. Please help us find our sister. We miss her. Help us find her. A year plus is a long time to be left waiting. I, I do hope they're able to get some answers soon. Ted Land, you'll have to keep us updated. Thanks for coming on to share the story. We will, and thank you for giving this attention. 
And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. For more on this story, you can visit king5.com. And if you enjoy the show, make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening right now. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.